Take your Bibles and, uh, and uh, open them, if you would, to uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Uh, if you've been watching, uh, what I'm usually burdened by in my preaching calendar is at the beginning of every year to go back and hit some of the basics again before we get involved in a week-by-week, paragraph-by-paragraph study of the Word. And if you noticed, we emphasized the Word of God, and we focused on that in uh, God's uh, revelation in, in Psalm 19. And then one of my early messages uh, I like to do is uh, remind us again of the great discipline and privilege of prayer. And so this week and next, we're going to look at uh, the Lord's Prayer. That's the title of the, of the paper. It's an old, uh, familiar section of Scripture. Uh, it, uh, it appears not only here, but in Luke chapter 11, uh, we find the, uh, a parallel account of what's known as the Lord's Prayer. Now, I've, I've entitled my sermon, uh, part one this week, Lord, teach us to pray. I think it's interesting. Out of all that the disciples saw, the Lord Jesus, and they spent three years with him. I mean, uh, they spent all that time with him, and they didn't say, Lord, teach us how you do these uh, miracles, you know? How do you do all that? Or, Lord, uh, teach us how to preach. I'd be like Billy Graham and out there, give me that homiletics course. Out of all of that and all that they watched him, and, and, and Luke 11 records it, verses 2, 3, and 4, Lord, teach us to pray. I think they looked at their own life, and in contrast to the Lord, they go like, it's like the Lord uh, is always praying. He's always talking to us. He's up early. He's in this communication and prayer life all day long with their Father. They looked at their life and they go like, oh, not. Lord, we are so uh, impoverished by comparison to your life. Lord, teach us to prayer. John MacArthur says prayer was a spiritual air that Jesus breathed every moment of his life. And we, uh, too, must learn how to pray, how to talk with God. I look back at my own life, and I think about my, my years through college, and then after, you know, and some of that. And I, I look back, and I go, like, the, uh, the Lord has really grown me in this thing called uh, a prayer life and a ministry of all day long, but then concentrated times and disciplining myself to get up earlier and, and to deny myself and, and maybe get to bed a little bit earlier. And God has revealed and taught me so much of himself. It's, it's almost the highlight of my day. And, and, uh, and so I just yearn for that, uh, for you and for your life. And if you're dead on and you're, you're not in, I, I pray that you feel utterly convicted and say, Lord, I've, been, I've not been where I should be in my prayer life. You, you looked at talk to me, and I'm just filling my life up with all this other stuff, but uh, I say first things first, and this is first. God has designed you to have fellowship with him. That's the cross, you know. It's the reconciliation. God has made us for himself. And then our short prayers during the day owe their strength to the, the, to the longer ones, the protracted ones perhaps earlier in the day. Now, there's nothing magical about earlier in the day or late at night. You do what you will with that, and you work your own schedule, and all our schedules are different, but there must be a period of time when uh, it's other than just, well, when I'm driving. I've seen the way some of you drive. You ought to pray when you, when you drive like that. But that ought not be, I have a rigorous prayer life. It's when I'm driving. Well, okay, but there ought to be, you go in, like Jesus said, shut the door, get down on your knees, and your Father in heaven who sees you pray in secret hears and rewards that. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. God is the rewarder of them that pray. Hebrews 13, amen? Amen. That's the kind of church, the only way we're going to advance as a church. We sang of grace. Ron presented the song of grace. Paul talked about grace. The only way that we'll do that is you and I humble ourselves, realizing who we are, not very much, by the universe standards right? And realize we're ultimately and totally dependent on the Lord for all things, even our next breath. Now, you used up 11,000 heartbeats last night while you slept. 11,000 heartbeats. And it's ticking away. Tick, 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 tick. Yours may tick differently, but it's moving on. We're totally and utterly dependent on the Lord, and we're running this thing called, and God made us for himself. He wants us to enjoy him, learn to enjoy him in our prayers and in our worship. And as we pray for one another, I'm telling you, Spurgeon said it, and I've told you, uh, the the reason why the word is effective here is that my people pray for me. Would you do that? Would you sign up and pray for Faith and I every single day? 
as we work through the week and study and, and spend time with people and, and plan ahead and work with the, oh, we need your prayers. We need to pray for each other. And these things that are mentioned, I hope you have a prayer list, you write them down. I'm up here writing all these new ones, writing Shirley's sisters down and Larry. I'm, I didn't know these, so I'm adding these to my list. And, and pray for one another. It'll tender your heart. It'll make it a loving church. Churches that pray for each other love each other. Look, we all got warts and we're all sort of born in the objective case. It's only the grace of God as we pray for each other that knits our hearts together. Anyway, I wouldn't want you all to be like me, how boring that would be. You know, we need some variety. Have you ever noticed that? And uh, you are the variety. And that's the way, and it's wonderful, really. That's the kind of church I want to have. So our emphasis this morning and next week will be, Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, let me introduce the thing. One of the, one of the things that still blows my mind is our ability to talk on a wireless phone to speak to someone halfway around the world. I, I, I mean, okay, some of you are younger and go like, well, what's to do with that? But some of us grew up watching Saturday morning, the Jetsons. How many remember the Jetsons? Okay, I'm still, we're still lost in that. We're like, he's making, and I'm like, wow. I mean, still, just to be able to, I mean, when I left for college, my mother would give me quarters, and that doesn't even mean anything. My kids don't even know what that means. But if I have a problem to find a public phone and use the quarters, to call home. You couldn't. And now we blast on the highway at incredible speeds on our wireless. And we could be calling China, you know? Just blows my mind that. I, I, we're that transitional generation, we're just utterly amazed. Well, such a thing in my sanctified imagination, if you will, helps me a little bit to understand how it is that God can hear our prayers. It's amazing. I've stood on the Persian Gulf and called home. And a wireless. And don't you love Psalm 94.9? I can't go any further without saying, Does not he who, who implanteth the ear, did you know your ear was implanted? Yeah, you got two of them. That's instructive. One mouth, two ears, my father said. He does not, it's rhetorical, does not he who implanteth the ear hear? Does not he who formed the eye see? The answer is so obvious, it's rhetorical. Of course God is the one who made the, uh, the concept of hearing. Those are two of the five senses. And if we didn't have the other three, we'd bump into each other wouldn't even though we hit each other, right? God made the, the sense of hearing. And the ears, aren't they marvelous? Notice they don't funnel backwards. What an evolutionary uh, event that is. You're like, what's wrong with you? My ears are, you know, no, this way, right? And the eye is so amazing. And the ear, and, uh, and God hears God hears prayer. Did you know that, that prayer is the single greatest activity that you can do as a Christian? Your finest moments are when you go into a private room, get on your knees, and both worship God and learn to enjoy Him and prayer and bring your request and the needs of your family and your friends and your church and your country. That's your finest moment. It's downhill from there. It's not watching Duke beat Syracuse. Who has, that was an amazing game. What is, you know, it's amazing. That's not, that's not the finest moment. Or when the Bills win the Super Bowl, that's a good moment. That's not the finest moment. Your finest moment is when you go in and shut the door, get on your knees, and learn. It's a learn. Learn to fellowship and talk to God. We must learn how to pray and learn how to talk with God. So that, like Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. The friendship of God is made. Yet we're so negligent, aren't we? We tend to be. We're busy, 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 busy. Uh, Americans, busy. Oh, that's good. Great. No, it isn't. Not always. Not if we're not doing first things first. And that could it be that we have a far too lofty opinion of our own abilities. I discover when uh, things are kind of like on an autopilot, I go, Lord, I don't, not, hey, things are great. You know, I can handle this, right? <laughs> that's like Peter. And that's why that's so instructive with Peter, the great fisherman, right? You know, they couldn't catch any fish. I'll take it from here. I mean, if we all have strengths, right? I can do it in my strength. But, and the Lord wants to show us even our strengths are puny and not able. And the fact that we don't pray could be that, among other things, that we just think, I can handle this. Or we get this goofy thought, I don't want to bother the Lord. You know, like, you know, your important stuff is going to not bother him. You know, like it's a crazy way we excuse ourselves. And may God forgive us for our negligence in prayer. 
Well, Jesus teaches us in this text about our need to pray, and he does so in the context of warning us. He warns us not to be theatrical about it. There's something in us that wants to be thought well of others, right? So, well of, oh, he's got, did you hear him pray? Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, isn't that great? And he's going to warn us about it. Uh, and, and, uh, and so on. And so Jesus provides for us a model prayer. And it has less than 70 words. I know sometimes concise is better, isn't it? Little is better. I mean, the Gettysburg Address. Lincoln thought it was nothing. It, it becomes immortal, right? It's only a few words, four score, seven years ago, our forefather. Is that it? That, that is it, yeah. yeah. And here's the less than 70 words, and it's the the Lord's Prayer. Really, it's not the Lord's Prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. I'm not going to fight City Hall on it. Everyone calls it the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is really John 17, his high priestly prayer. Mark has taught that so well. But uh, this is the prayer for us as his followers. It's a, he provides a model prayer. Now, a model typically is thought of as a cheap imitation of the real thing, right? Did you ever put model cars together, model battleships and all that? Cheap imitation of the real This is, doesn't mean that. It means it's an example of the form uh, and structure that uh, should be included in our prayers. Let's embrace it. Let's practice it today and every day. And so there are three, there are three petitions in the first part of this prayer. Uh, teaching us to begin our daily prayers with the proper focus. Now, it's important for us here to say that uh, the important thing is not the exact words of Jesus. Okay, there are a lot of times the songs that are sung. A lot of churches will recite this, the Lord's Prayer. They'll do it after the offering. They'll do it at a part of it in the liturgy of the church. And they do it all the time. It's like uh, it, be, it becomes mindless. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. You sit down and say, what did you just do? Well, I really don't know. I do, we do it every week. There's something about our, our makeup that we do something every week. We become very dull to it. It's not, it's not a magic formula up the middle, around the end, and punt. No, it's not a formula. Like, in Jesus' name, whatever I said, that somehow is the one. No, it's not that. Although it's okay to memorize, it's okay to sing it that way. But that's not the point. The point of it is, look at what it is and what he's saying in the form and the structure uh, of the prayer. And that ought to be the thing that uh, should be included in most of our praying. That's the important thing. Following the same structure, the themes in our own prayer life. And so it really calls us to always begin our prayers looking up. That's what he does, looking up. He begins looking up before he gets to give us today our daily bread. Have you noticed that? He's going to make three petitions. We're going to look at those three today first. Next, we'll look at the horizontal, but he begin looking up. Isn't that the right perspective always? Looking up to the Lord, not coming rushing in with a list of gimme, 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 like we're three years old. You know, I want this for, I want that for, list of the gimmies. No, stop that. Except for one exception, okay? Unless you're in a life and death situation. Then you can say, Lord, help, okay? Without going, our Father who art in heaven. No, we have the example of Peter when he was sinking, right? Walking on the water, started going down. He didn't go like, our Father who art in heaven. No, it was a dire situation. Help! You can do that then. But as a normal course, the Lord is teaching us, begin by looking up and enjoy the, the presence and the glory and the wonder of our Father who is in heaven. And that's, uh, that's what we do. And so Jesus calls us to be utterly genuine in our prayers to God. We are to pray uh, not like those who do it for show. In, in our text, we'll read that, not for show. Now, uh, some of you are golfers and you, you know that expression, you... Uh, you drive for show, right? Drive for show. Wow, look at that drive. And you putt for dough. How many of you have heard of that? You putt for Okay, good. But not in your prayer life. Not in your prayer life. You don't pray for show. That's what he's saying. Now, let's, we better read the text before I get too far. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Now, let's pick it up at verse 5. Look at the warning first. And when you pray, underline when, would you do that? Underline when, point it, Jesus assumes we're going to pray. Uh, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, the actors. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners 
Here's their motive, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. When people go like, wow, that was a prayer, guess what? That's all they get. That's all that prayer got was the impression it made on people. You know how fickle people are. About three seconds later, they're going to totally forget what they just said. <laughs> but when you pray, notice again, when. He assumes we are going to pray. Go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You like to get a reward? I do. Wow, these are the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And when you pray, here it is again, when, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. There are some groups that pray, they just keep repeating mindlessly this mantra, you know, some goofy word, and you put your mind in crazy land. No, that's not it. That's not even praying, that's goofiness. Don't pray, heap up empty phrases like the unbelievers, the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Isn't that great? Thank you. Pray like this, and here it is. Here's the Lord's Prayer. And the first word in the Greek is pater, but we say our Father in heaven Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in the heavens. Give us today, uh, this day, our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive other their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We're going to look at the first three. There are a total of six uh, uh, imperatives or petitions here uh, today, this morning. And our first three are ones that cause us to look up. And it's just like a father uh, talking to his children or children talking to his father, or a daughter talking to her father in, in that kind of verbiage. It's not flowery. It's not just transparent, open heart. Lord, I heard of this. Lord, I wonder about this. Lord, I don't know. And just totally burying our hearts in honest, genuine conversation with the Lord alone pouring out our hearts. That's what he's calling for. Well, the first petition we find here in verse 9, we are to ask our Father to cause all creation to honor Him. That is, that He might be the preeminent one of all. Hallowed be your name. Jesus opens His prayer with His Father as the focus. And God in His kingdom must always take priority over your needs and mine. Never begin focusing on yourself unless it's a dire emergency. I was going down to 380 one time. I think it was in the Poconos. They changed the route number on it from Scranton down to Philly. And uh, the snow came up, and I started doing 360s in my car. And I go, Lord, help. And I just screamed out because all of a sudden I lost it on black ice. And I said, Lord, help me because I stopped. When it stopped, I was looking right outside at the pole. I go like, and it never touched my car. I Thank you, Lord. Thank you. That was an emergency, and that fits in that column, but that's not the normal course of our daily walking with the Lord. We must begin focusing on Him. Our Father, B, means that this prayer is for those that are in God's family. Notice that our Father. Father is a relational term. It's a family term. He's our Father. No Jew ever called God their father. You see that they have a problem with that at points in the Gospels where Jesus said, my father. He said it all the time, my father, my father, my father. The only time he didn't was when he was on the cross hanging as our sin substitute. Then it was, uh, um, oh God, my God. And he stood in relationship to holy God is legal sin. But every other time, it's my Father, and he invites us to pray, 
our father. I don't know if you knew your father or if your father was a good man or a bad man or someone in between, but God is God our Father is the ultimate good of all good. And we all have an ideal of that. We do. We do because we go like, well, he was okay but not very good and or this or that or th- and, and why? We have this standard in our mind of what what would be the ideal father. He is that and more. He is more than wonderful. Our Father. Jesus said that God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. Well, it's a family term. You know that many people did not have God as their father. Once uh, uh, Jesus rebuked some, remember that? And they were leaders in John 8, 44, I have on your sheet. Jesus said, uh, you're of your father, the devil. Imagine that. He said that. To, that was not very polite, was it? He said to the religious leaders who were leading the people to hell. You're of your father, the devil. Now, modern theology in the 60s, and it worked its way into the popular culture. Uh, you know, our father, blessed all, and all are, are God, all belong to God as father. Listen, all, he is God to all, but he's not father to all. He is, he is father to only those who have bowed the knee to Jesus. Have you done that? If you've done that, he is your father. And they're really, they're really actually only two families in all the earth. I know. Paul, uh, Paul took uh, joy in that a cousin or someone got a gold medal, and, and we all do that, and isn't that great? <laughs> we're, all, we're all part of the same earthly family, but there are really only two families. you got the Adams Family. You ever see the movie, Adams Family? Right? <laughs> Some of you saw the series a million years ago. The Adams Family. We're all in the Adams Family. We're all born that way, and that's our problem. And we inherited not only uh, life from him, but a human nature tainted with sin and born under judgment. And then you have those that are in God's family that have been born again. You know that little expression, um, if, um, if you've been born once, you die twice, but if you've been born twice, you die once. You ever hear that? That's a good little one. That's a catcher. You should, it's great for talking to your friends. And Hey, hey, did you ever hear that my pastor said, if you're born twice, you die once. If you die twice, you're born twice. They'll go, what? what? Are you all right? What does that mean? It's a tremendous, it's a little bit of a fun thing, little thing, but it really reflects the scriptures. If you've been born twice, it means you've been born as part of Adam's family, but you've been born from above. God has saved you. And therefore, you'll die, and unless Jesus comes back in our life, you'll die, but it won't be the second death. The second death is cast forever in the lake and fire forever and ever. And you, you don't want to be a part of that. And they say that to people. You don't want to be a part of it. You'll be born twice, die once. Or if you're sure you're born once, you'll die twice. So much fun, let's do it again. You don't want that. You don't want it. It's a, it's a good way to think, but, and, and, and so on. So Jesus tells us that our first petition should express our deepest yearning and desire that God the Father would be honored by all people everywhere. Hallowed comes from the word holy. And holy means altogether different, unique, distinct, one of a kind, the holy other. And this is the desire that all would highly esteem God our Father and not curse his name. Sometimes it's sickening when you hear God's name being cursed. You know, I mean, in my some years when I was more brass, maybe at work, I'd be working on a work crew, and a guy would uh, curse God's name. And I'd say, what, what's your mother's name? Said, well, why do you want to know that? I said, you want me just to rattle off a bunch of curse about your mother? Be, you know, like, well, what do you mean, my mother? You know, you'd say something about my mother, I'll beat you up, you know? Well, you're just talking about God Almighty, and I love him dearly, and you just cursed his name up and down like a drunken sailor. You're like, oh. A lot of times, just mindless words. People just, you know, as part of this, this culture we live in, I was reading somewhere where men feel denuded, so they have this sense of brashness and testosterone when they just rattle off a bunch of curse words because they're really tough. But they're not really. They just sound tough, and, and it's just really denuded, and they speak mindless words. And this is a desire that God, would, the Father, would have the preeminence that he'd be esteemed. This was Jesus' great desire in, in John 17, 2-4, uh, that he glorified the Father's name, that the, Lord, the Father's name was lifted up. 
Now, there are many unholy and even perverted ideas that float around about God our Father, and, uh, and often, uh, as I mentioned, His wonderful name is cursed. You know, how terrible is our problem that our sin problem is so bad that we should speak such evil of, of God, our Creator, and God who, who has provided redemption, that we would speak in such filthy, horrible ways. You know, there's a sense whenever we say God's name, we ought to, like uh, Exodus 3 and 4, we ought to remove our shoes. Take off your shoes. Because the names of God, the, the, the Bible shows so many names for God that God reveals himself to us through his names. Names mean character. It means who he is. And uh, you can do a study on that. It's a rich study on that. And, uh, and the Jews in the ancient days, there was a period of time when they were writing Scripture and they didn't have copy machines and all that. They had to write it by hand. The scribes, they come to the name of God, the personal name. They would never say the name. They didn't even know how it was pronounced, really. And uh, it, there's a time where, where, the, where the scribe would stop before he came to the name of the Lord, uh, Yahweh, we'd say. And he, he would go get a ceremonial bath, come back, imagine this, write the name of God, go back and get a ceremonial bath, and go back and continue to write the line of Scripture. You know, we, don't, we don't have a sense of awe and wonder in, 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 in the preeminence of God in His name like uh, perhaps we should. He's certainly not the man upstairs. I hate that. The man upstairs? Please. Oh, oh it drives me uh, crazy. I mean, just a few of the names for God. God reveals. He's self-revealing. He reveals his nature. He reveals his character. A few examples, and you know a number of these. Uh, Elohim, that's Genesis 1. Yeah, that's God's name in creation. He's the mighty one, the one with the huge biceps and omnipotent God. Almighty. How about El Elyon, another God Most High? We honor him as ruler of heaven and earth. Uh, we do. Uh, we do not. When we doubt his sovereignty, we don't. He's God Most High. And we like, Lord, I, I don't know what you're doing. And I don't like it. We doubt his sovereignty. We do acknowledge. We do honor him when we acknowledge that he is the one that does all things well. We sang that. Ron had us sing that today. You know, like, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. We're singing the words of Job, who lost nearly everything. And then God gave it back to him. Well, El Elyon. Uh, a third is Yahweh. He's my Redeemer. Another one, Adonai. He's Lord, Master. Is he your Lord? Is he your Master? You know, is he? He is or he isn't. There's no halfway on that. And then we sing that Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah is not really a biblical word. Some of you probably don't, don't know that, but it's that personal name of God where they inserted certain letters because they didn't want to try and figure out Yahweh. It's probably pronounced something like that. It should be Yahweh uh, Jireh, the God who provides. There in, in Genesis 22 with Isaac, when God, Abraham was going to take his life, all of this revealed the wonder and the glory and the greatness of our God. And Jesus tells us, pray that God the Father would have the preeminence. And there's some sense where we ought to take our shoes off whenever we say the name of God. Well, wow. So let's begin our prayers worshiping him. He is our heavenly father. And all things that he would have the preeminence and that would be universal. You know, someday, this is a, blows my mind when thinking about it, someday uh, everyone, everyone on whole earth will know, love, and enjoy God forever. Is that hard to imagine? That is, that is so hard to imagine in this, this whole place of rebellion that we live that is going to come a day where everyone your neighbors and everyone you know will love the Lord and worship Him and serve Him. And you won't, there will be no need for evangelism. No, you don't have to pray for loved ones that they get saved. Or, well, and that day you won't have to pray for those that, that are sick, that God would give healing grace and comfort. Or any of that. Isn't that great? Won't even need money. How about that? Are you for that? Amen. You say, I don't use it anyways. They use credit cards. Won't even need credit cards. <laughs> like, what a day that will be. A day in which the whole earth will love and know and worship. and serve. Even so, come quickly. Oh, I can't wait. Well, pray, that, pray for that, that the Lord would be preeminent. Second petition, Roman number two, we are to ask that God's rule, his governance, would finally come to rebellious earth. Your kingdom come was the, was the imperative. God is sovereign and does rule the universe. 
and he has for eternity, but he is allowed for a short time. Let me back up, a short time. I, I, I know, you look at the chronology of the Bible, and uh, it, it, it appears that uh, there, there might be six or 8,000 years of human history. You know, Bishop Usher was a brilliant Oxford scholar. I have his works. You know, he's made fun of, oh, that goofy guy was more brilliant. He had more brains than the tip of his, <laughs> than all of us probably together. And, the, oh, it's 6,006. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, the Bible. And it's, no, he's brilliant. He traced the genealogies back and, and, uh, and so on. I, I don't know if he's right. Just plus or minus a little bit, and you're talking about that. Now, think of eternity past. Just put an arrow and goes all the way back without beginning. Okay, then at a certain point, God creates. And it's maybe six, eight, ten thousand years. Maybe, maybe. I mean, what is that? From eternity past to eternity future. I mean, we talk about, and then, and this vastness of it all. It's enormous. It's so enormous. God is great and we're, we're not. And for this little speck of time, God is revealing to the creation that he's a God of loyal, of love, grace, mercy, Oh, the depths of the love of God, the wisdom of God. He's revealing through this little speck of period of time called human history on earth. And it's here and it's going to be over soon as we understand the scriptures. But here in all the universe is the only place of rebellion in all the universe. Right here. And it's, it lodges in the hearts of men and women made in his image. That's it. I know there are fallen angels. Some are being tartarized. It's a participle. They're the lowest realms of Haiti, they're held there. Others are free to roam with Satan, but they're doomed. But that's it. And as soon it's going to be over, and it's going to be eternity future with the new heavens and the new earth and all of that, and only at this period of time on this, speck of, uh, on this little planet, rebellion in the hearts and lives of men and women. God is sovereign. He rules the universe. And he is allowed for a very short time. And for his purposes, this rebellion to exist on earth, he could just take the word and just boom, wipe us all out. I mean, it's not even close, this, well, God's human free will. What is that? What is that compared to almighty, sovereign God? You ever sit as a, I used to do that as a boy with a magnifying glass? You ever kill ants on a back of, mm, uh, there's one, mm, uh, uh, that one. And, you know, that ant's got free will. I'm going left, I'm going right. No, you're not. <laughs> now, that's too big of a comparison. I mean, God's comparison is so, that's like, you get the point. Wow. Wow. And one day, the full manifestation of his kingdom will be seen. It will be a re reality on earth. There's a spiritual kingdom now. It will be utterly the kingdom visibly seen. It is the culmination of world history, a real kingdom on earth. And you won't vote. So I'm a Democrat. I don't care what you are. I'm a Republican. I'm an Independent. I'm a Libertarian. I don't care. It's a kingdom. The Lord isn't going to say, well, I'm going to vote. No, don't worry about that. Too bad. Bev won't have a job then. <laughs> it's the king. And uh, it's going to be a kingdom. And I can't wait. Man, oh man. Today, uh, and, oh, it's a real kingdom on earth. And every mother who hushes her child to sleep has stamped within her heart and mind uh, and, and every little children's uh, uh, little nursery rhyme or story usually ends in the same way. Now, now, it will be okay. Or they lived happily ever after. There is within our heart a desire for one day, for it all to be corrected and all to be made right, this, this anticipation that one day it will end well. You know, most Americans hate films that end bad. Have you ever stood and booed? You know, like when the good guys get wiped out and the evil ones go on, you're like, I want a refund. Where do I go for a refund? Do you know that some cultures love that? The Japanese love it that way when the good guys get just wiped out and the mafia just continues. Not us. I mean, we're like, no, we want it to end. Well, this is, that is the, the kingdom anticipation, I think, that's stamped on our hearts and lives as we long and wait for the groaning of creation to finally be over. Today, most people don't hallow his name, and the reason is sin is our problem. Sin is the reason people not humble themselves before God. The essence of sin is rebellion. Look, I'm going to be king. You're not king, I'm king. That's it. These people say, well, what's sin? You want to be king. You want to be your own God and own Lord and do what you want, measure everything by your own. That's the problem. 
The reality is, according to Ephesians 2, there's another kingdom present. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, look, keep your finger on Matthew, but look at Ephesians 2. Remind you of this very familiar passage. We live in a world that uh, is in conflict. There's another kingdom present that opposes the Lord Jesus Christ, though it's already doomed. But, uh, and Paul reminds these believers that they were once citizens of that dark kingdom. And you were dead in trespasses and sin, Ephesians 2.1, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we, we all, he jumps down and includes himself, Paul does, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and in the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We were born that way like the rest of mankind. But God, that's one of the great buts in the Bible. But God who is rich and oh, I love that. That's, that's the gospel right there. Well, by some scholars' admission, uh, there have been 21 great world civilizations in world history. And all of them are gone. Every one of them. Every one of them. And some of you have studied ancient history, and you know the great Egyptians, and some of you study the Babylonians, and some of the Greeks, Alexander the Great, and some, some of you know the, the Meking uh, Delta and the, and the Orient and all of that, and some of you the Romans, and some of the Great Britain, the, the sun never sets on the British Empire, and they're all gone. They're all gone. They're all gone. Proverbs 14.34 is instructive. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. This is God's unchangeable principle for humanity and countries and nations and families. Families are simply that which make up nations. And I say, America, be warned on this. America, be warned. Be warned. Righteousness builds up a nation. It strengthens and establishes a people, but sin destroys the very foundation of a people, and most of these collapse from the inside. Think of the great Romans. Rome thought nobody could ever defeat We're Rome. They were mighty and strong, and man, they were ferocious in their fighting. They were just brutal. They were worse than the Nazis in their brutality and all that. And they crumbled from within. They crumbled from within. Well, there, 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 uh, there are two, uh, oh, my point is nations come and go, kingdoms come and go, but this one that's coming, thy kingdom come, it will endure forever. There won't be a changing of the guard on that one. You can go to a Fort Niagara up in the county I was born in, in New York State, right up on Ontario where the Niagara River dumps into Lake Ontario. There's Fort Niagara there. Stephen, you may have been there. Your family is from Canada and all. And uh, they'll, do, uh, they'll do the colors, uh, the changing of the colors. And they'll show that the French uh, controlled the fort, and then the British controlled the fort, and then the Americans controlled the fort. And they do, it's kind of fun to watch that. And uh, though the French, they came and they went. The British, they came and went. Now the American flag is flying. There's coming a day when the flag of our Lord Jesus will fly, and it'll never be taken down. Never. The kingdom, thy kingdom come. Well, there are two ways in which uh, this petition is answered. Two ways. So it's not like Daniel 5. Many, many techie farce and you've been waiting the balances and found wanting and your kingdom is removed there in Babylon. Well, the first is it's a prayer for evangelism. You probably never thought of that. Your kingdom come is a prayer for evangelism. That men and women, boys and girls that you know and love, that you intentionally develop friendships with, uh, that Christ would rule in their hearts because it's a matter of being salt and light. And if there's more salt and light, 8 or 10 or 12% of a population can permeate neighborhoods and schools and places of work and all of that, and there's a preserving element to that. Uh, thy, uh, thy kingdom come. And not only that, that the church, when the last person that God is calling and electing into his salvation is saved, the, the, the Lord's will, will come. And we'll be snatched up together, so shall we ever be with the Lord. So it's a prayer for, really, as we, you and I do the work of sharing the gospel, when God calls out a people, it's the coming of the kingdom uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what second is. Ultimately, finally, it'll be, it'll be uh, fulfilled when Jesus returns to earth and rules as king for the final thousand years of world history. And then forevermore in the new heavens and the new earth, no more curses. 
No more curse, no more tears, no more death, no more obituaries, no more sickness. Hey, ho, I'm ready for that. That's what I want. <laughs> no more. No more. Yep. I talked to mom last night on the phone to see how she was doing. How you doing, mom? She said, I'm doing pretty good. And she said, you know, I've been listening to Dave Jeremiah preach on heaven. I just love it. He's been preaching on the radio on heaven. It's a great series. I've caught a little bit of it. She goes, like, I can't wait to go to heaven. But, you know, uh, I love you and I would miss you. You know, it's just a funny thing, she said, that, um, you know, we want to depart and be with the Lord and all that. But, uh, but so we say, okay, uh, Lord, even so, come, come and take me home. But wait, before I do, I have to take my aspirin. <laughs> she, she talked about a, a pastor she heard one time say, Lord, I'm ready. Take me anytime. Wait a minute. I've got to go to the drugstore and get my medicine. <laughs> she, isn't that funny, that the way we live to here, and yet we look forward to, and we go like, people need me here. I want to be here. I don't want to. And I, you know, it's just that. And someday that will, no more drugstores. I'm for that. Oh, man, won't that be great? And Revelation 21 shows that, that kingdom is glorious, and it's, uh, it's that future fulfillment of David's son Jesus from 2 Samuel 7. You know, all of that. I mean, why did uh, Jesus have to be born in the city of David? I mean, if your ears are listening at Christmas time, you go, what does that mean? That was the prophesy a thousand years ahead of time, that the Redeemer would come, would be a son of David, who would be the king of this eternal kingdom that would go on forever and ever, and that's the Lord Jesus. So Jesus said, pray that God's rule, his governance, would come to this rebellious earth. Number three and last, before we're done, and this is shorter, we are to ask in verse 10 that God's will be done by all people. Your will be done on earth as it is in the heavens. And I'm reminded uh, daily, we make choices. Is it going to be God's will or my will? Are going to do what Terry wants to do or what the Lord wants to do? I surrender hour by hour, day by day, Lord, your will. Not my will, but your will be done, as Jesus prayed. And in this, in A, Satan's fall, recorded in Isaiah 14, brought about a second wor- a will into the universe. The five I wills of Satan when he was cast out of heaven in God's sovereign plan. Uh, he, Lucifer was made as an angel, the highest angels. And he was puffed up with pride and uh, was cast out of heaven and and wreaked havoc on earth. He took a third of the angels with him. They're known as the demons and so on, fallen angels that fell with him. And we discover, wait a minute, there's another will going on on this planet. This will of Satan and his followers opposes God. And and, and all that leads to the road of misery and death. Kind of like that Proverbs that says, the way of the sinner is hard. Isn't that true? The way of the sinner is hard. When we sin, we, I mean, life is hard, but we can just make it harder by going against God's wonderful will that he reveals in the only book he ever gave, the wonderful scriptures. The way of the sinner is hard. And we discover in this world, we pray, thy will be done. There's another will kind of going. It's like a big battle, big fight going on here. And we discover that in Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God. Why do you put on armor? There's a battle going on. The helmet of knowledge of salvation and and the breastplate of, of, of righteousness and the belt of truth and the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the devil that, that he'll throw at you and me all the time. We see it in the garden there. Did God really say to Adam and Eve? Oh, God's lying. He's, he, he doesn't want you to eat of that because he knows the days that you, you eat it, you'll be like God, only good and evil. And that's the attack that began. It's insidious and it's continued. And even though he's defeated at Calvary, it'll continue. And then one day it will be no more. It will be the Lord's will forever done. I can't, I have a hard time trying to even imagine how great that would be. For in the heavens, he tells us that God's will is always being done. Imagine that. At least in the third heavens. And everything in this huge creation was, is doing exactly what God designed it to do except in the hearts and lives of rebellious sinful men and women and fallen angels, according to the Scriptures. Everything in heaven is doing exactly what it was designed to do. Now think about that for a moment. The the sun is doing exactly what God designed it to do, and he holds it there. 
You think the moon's going to be rebellious tomorrow? I'm not going to show my face tomorrow. You think you're so smart and know the phases of the moon? I'm going to show you. No, in the planets, in the stars, in the animal creation too. All, everything is designed to do exactly what God designed it to do and fulfills exactly what God wanted it to do moment by moment, day by day, except here, here are human beings, you and I, we strut around on this terra firma, right? And uh, we go, in our hearts, we're just going to do what we're going to do, and I, I don't really care, and I'm God, and, and I'll set up other gods that, you know, I sort of uh, appease my heart and that please my sensuality, but are really not gods. We really are the worship of demons. And so, but one day that'll be over. When the will of God is performed by all human beings. And I remind you, earth is the only point of rebellion in the entire universe. The earth, this blue planet. And if you go to the nearest star and look back, you can't even see us. And all the rest is doing the will of God except this little blue point called the earth. It's amazing when you get the mega view in the picture here, the right perspective. The will of God is revealed only in one place. And I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present yourself as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And stop being conformed to this world, but be ye renewed by the, be, uh, be transformed, metamorphosed by the renewing of your mind through the scriptures. It reveals the word of our Lord. Well, lessons not lessons, but so what? What is it? What difference? What difference should this make in your life and mine? What difference? Number one, Jesus expects you and I to have a prayer life and to pray every day. If you know Christ the Lord is your Savior, He yearns to spend time with you. That's, a, that's an amazing thought. And if you're not setting apart time to pray, begin today. Say, Lord, forgive me for being negligent in this thing. Ask the Lord to help you. When you pray, Lord, say, Lord, teach me how to pray. Maybe you need to get a little prayer book, a little simple thing, and, and write down um, some specific prayer requests in the day. Maybe you need a journal, and maybe just write your thoughts and, and pray for them. And just this notes that only you and the Lord would see. I mean, Lord, help me to grow in this thing. I want to enter into the great force of the building of the church. And if pastor's right, praying is how I do that best, I want to do that. I want to be a soldier of the cross. Well, then join the ranks and let's pray and storm the throne of God. I don't want to stand before the Lord someday and say, why, why didn't you ever pray? You didn't enter into the fray. You stood on the side. I wanted you to pray. I said, when you pray, didn't you get it? Grow up in this thing. Let's start in this. I mean, if you start now and do that, it'll be the, this will be the most glorious year, and God will teach you things of himself, and he'll advance the work in ways we can't see now. I promise you that. And as each one of us encourage each one other to do that, this will be a praying church. That's what we want to be. Not by might or wisdom or power or might. Look, we're small and puny. If we're going to make a difference of hope and change in the life of people here, it's got to be through God and he answers prayer. He's the rewarder. Number two, begin, begin your prayer focusing on our glorious God and worship him by enjoying who he is and what things he has done. Tell the Lord what amazes you about him. Do this. Just, just don't race through it. Just take your time. Whether it's the seasons or the creation or the colors or relationships or, or the Word of God or things that you learn, just enjoy that. Tell the Lord what amazes you. But give thanks for all that He's done and is doing and will do. I mean, effervescing with praise. That'll make you very... That'll change your perspective. It'll lift your spirits. It'll give you a song. You'll be being filled with the Spirit. You'll be singing. People will wonder about you. As you cast your burdens to the Lord, you won't be carrying things he never designed you to carry. Number three, pray for the souls of your family and friends, their person, their life, and that they would be saved from their sin and become a doer of God's will. Thy will be done. Perhaps you never thought that the Lord's prayer was evangelistic. It sure is. As more and more people strive by God's grace to do his will, his will will be being done. Number four, pray for your church 
Pray for me. Pray for Faithy every day, please. Satan comes at leadership harder than he does others. He does, and I, I desperately need your prayers for holiness, wisdom, godliness, discipline, uh, uh, and just direction. And Faithy needs it. Our elders need it. Our deacons need it. We all need it, every one of us. Pray that way in earnest about it. It's serious business. That the Word of God would powerfully, that God would use His Word powerfully through our church to bring real hope and real change. Not this political mumble-jumble. Real hope and real change through changed lives. As God moves us forward through the prayers of His people. Pray. Let's be a praying church. Let's pray for one another in earnest and seriousness. And you, and you should be writing down prayer requests. You can't remember it. Our brains are so, so well, that's part of the problem. I'll pray for you, and I walk away and eat a hamburger, and I, the thought never enters my mind again. Not because I didn't plan on it. It's just our condition, and maybe that's just me. But if I scratch it down, then it goes somewhere else, and it goes in my body, then I pray. So let's do that. Number five, come today and join God's family. So you can say, our Father, my Father who art in heaven. You do that by calling on the Lord to save you. God does not even hear with an ear to answer those who don't know him. He hears, of course. But he doesn't hear to answer until you're born again. And Jesus is calling through the voice of this speaker now. She's saying, come unto me, Jesus is saying. Come unto me. And I will save to the uttermost. Will you do that? You must be born again. Well, begin your prayers by first, by first looking, first looking up. I want us to stand and uh, in your bulletin, Jean uh, uh, has ready for us the Lord's Prayer. I'd like to sing that a cappella. Um, I debated whether we were going to sing this week or not. And then it kind of hit me, why don't we sing the Lord's Prayer? So it's a prayer that we're singing, and, uh, and I think it's a wonderful way to close uh, our uh, study on Lord, teach us to pray. Now, hopefully I won't start it too low, but uh, let's, let's sing this to the Lord from our heart, shall we? Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, dismiss us with your blessing, we pray. Lord, we pray that you'd work in our hearts and cause us to be salt and light as we now scatter into the mission field of our world. We love you so. Go with us and give us a song. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to ask the elders and deacons, we have a brief meeting with Gene and Bill in the back hallway after.